Welcome to Gut Check, a podcast from the Gastroenterology Learning Network. My name is Brian Lacey. I'm a professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. I am absolutely delighted to be speaking today with Dr. Walter Chan, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Chan is the author of a really interesting recently published article on COVID-19 and potential long-term gastrointestinal issues. Dr. Chan, welcome. Let's begin with some simple facts to put COVID-19 in perspective. More than 600 million individuals have been infected worldwide with nearly 7 million deaths attributed to COVID-19. And in the United States alone, more than 1.1 million people have lost their lives to COVID-19. Some people believe that this is the biggest healthcare crisis the US has faced in over a hundred years. Can you give us your perspective? Yeah, well, thank, first of all, thank you, Dr. Lacey, for having me on today. Um, obviously, COVID-19 has a very high population impact as a disease, uh, both on the medical and psychosocial levels, um, as well as an impact on the global healthcare systems uh, in terms of the resource utilization. Um, the interesting thing is that we're really witnessing the evolution of a new, newly discovered illness and really how our body and our immune system react and adapt to them. Um, the challenge is that there's not a lot of data, uh, especially in the beginning. We have to use a lot of experience from what we know from other known illnesses and try to navigate uh, as new data emerge. Uh, so the important part of it, especially for a healthcare provider, is, is really uh, to really, how do we continue to practice evidence-based care while providing care with a lot of unknowns? And I think that's a lot of the big part of the challenge in managing this condition and also patients who may be suffering from uh, symptoms related to, to COVID-19. Absolutely, that's a great perspective. And so for our listeners who may not be quite as familiar or facile with this topic as you are, how does COVID-19 affect the GI tract? Yeah, so COVID-19 is caused by uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And the way it actually affects our body is that it binds to these uh, proteins called uh, angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, or ACE2. Uh, they have these spike proteins on the virus that bind to these ACE2 to allow them to get into the cells of our body. Um, and the, the way, the interesting part of this is that ACE2 is actually very prevalent in the GI tract. There's a high expression of ACE2, particularly in the small bowel and colon. Actually, if you, if you look at some of the experiments, uh, there are a lot more of these ACE2 in the GI tract than there are in the lungs, even though a lot of patients come into the hospital initially because of respiratory issues and symptoms. And once these viruses get into our cells through these ACE2 protein, they can cause a number of different uh, impact. It can cause a direct cytotoxic effect, meaning that it can cause cell, de cell death or uh, injury to the cells themselves. It can cause dysregulation of the renin angiotensin system, which can le lead to a lot of tissue injury or inflammation. Uh, it can cause cell damage to the endothelium, so it can cause a lot of uh, vascular and thromboinflammation issue. And finally, it can also cause a lot of dysregulation in the immune, immune, immune system, leading to an um, abnormal immune response. Uh, that's why a lot of patients develop these systemic immune reaction, uh, leading to a lot of uh, multi-system symptoms. 
Walter, and I like the way you highlighted that there are actually more receptors in the GI tract than the lungs. I think that is surprising to many providers and many patients. And so recognizing that, like a lot of other viruses, the, the GI tract can be affected by COVID-19. What are some of the most common GI symptoms after a COVID-19 infection? Yeah, so some of the most common symptoms, especially in the acute phase of COVID-19, are actually very similar to uh, what we see in a lot of viral GI illnesses. Diarrhea is one of the most common symptoms, can affect up to about a third of the patients. Uh, nausea and vomiting is another very common symptom, as well as abdominal pain. I think the interesting part of it, especially during acute illness, is that some patients, this could for some patients, this could be the only complaints that they have from the COVID infection. In fact, in, in a study that we did, about 9% of patients came in with just GI symptoms. And the GI symptoms can be the predominant symptoms in another 11%. And, uh, and for a lot of patients, this can also be uh, the initial manifestation. They can develop GI symptoms before they have any respiratory symptoms or even develop, develop symptoms like fever. Uh, so, so recognizing these type of GI symptoms is important if we want to have early diagnosis so that we can have early intervention for patients who are, who are infected with COVID-19. So Walter, in this very nice article you, you co-authored with Madhu Grover, um, you kind of distinguish a little bit between acute and chronic symptoms. Uh, and you mentioned that 29% of uh, COVID-19 survivors report at least one new chronic GI symptom six months after their COVID infection. What are the, some of these most common chronic, typical post-COVID issues we're going to be dealing with? Yeah, a lot of these symptoms actually are very similar to some of the most common symptoms where patients come to GI to the GI clinic and see us. Uh, the most common ones are constipation and diarrhea. Uh, about 9% of patients can have abdominal pain. In fact, within this group of patients in their study, over a third of them eventually met criteria for IBS, the Roman four criteria for IBS. Um, some patients also come in with heartburn as well as nausea and vomiting. Um, in this study uh, that they did, this, this survey study that they did, uh, about 11% of patients reported their GI symptoms as their most bothersome current symptoms, even six months after the initial COVID infection. So it could affect a, a substantial number of patients. And there's also, interestingly, one other st survey study that was done where they uh, found that about 16% of uh, patients after the COVID infection can have persistent GI symptoms. And you can contrast that with what we commonly see with post-infectious IBS. And a number that's often quoted it's about 10% of patients after a viral or uh, bacterial infection can develop post-infectious IBS. So in some survey study, it shows that maybe the prevalence is even higher than what we typically see with other non-COVID infections. So a good teaching point for our providers is that given the prevalence of COVID, we're probably going to be seeing more of these post-COVID, uh, post-infection dyspeptic patients and IBS patients. Walter, you gave such a nice description of the acute pathophysiology of COVID affecting the GI tract, but what's the mechanism underlying these chronic symptoms? It's not ongoing infection. What really happens? Yeah, I, I think there are still that we're still trying to learn uh, in terms of what's causing these chronic symptoms, but we believe that a lot of, lot of the mechanisms are similar 
to the potential mechanism underlying other post-infectious IBS or post-infectious uh, functional symptoms. For example, it can lead to altered motility. It might change intestinal microbiome, leading to uh, a lot of these uh, abdominal symptoms. Uh, it can cause uh, visceral hypersensitivity. Uh, it might change intestinal permeability because of the cell damage that it can cause. Uh, central sens sensitization oftentimes are very common in patients post-infectious functional symptoms. I think some of the more um, COVID-specific mechanism potentially are these immune dysregulation that we see. So patient can develop autom autonomic dysfunction that's been reported uh, quite a bit in patients with, with prolonged COVID symptoms. We know that a lot of COVID patients have altered taste and smell as part of the manifestation. So that in itself can sometimes be linked to some GI symptoms and alterations in, in their eating. We also know that a lot of the metabolic dysfunction, things like diabetes have been associated with, with COVID. Um, and, uh, and these can also affect GI tract functions, leading to uh, a lot of the uh, functional symptoms or GI symptoms that we can see uh, chronically. There are also a lot of other factors, for example, psychological stress. Um, there have been studies that have shown that um, uh, uh, patients who have uh, increase in uh, depression and anxiety symptoms related to the COVID pandemic might have more GI symptoms. And together with the fact that there are a lot of uh, um, uh, social changes, including more isolation, basically patients who are um, uh, self-isolating or um, uh, confined because of the pandemic might have increase in psycho psychological stress that can increase their GI symptoms. And finally, that can also lead to a lot of dietary and other behavioral changes uh, related to the pandemic and confinement. So people might eat less healthily, may exercise less, and which can also lead to more GI symptoms as well. Incredibly complicated, nicely outlined, and we could even assume, but we don't know, that it's probably different in different people for some of those reasons you just mentioned. And so thinking about this and our, our listeners and our patients, can we predict who will develop these chronic GI symptoms? Is it that young woman with a lot of stress or is it that older man who has a lot of comorbid conditions? Yeah, there have been a number of studies trying to look at what are some of the factors associated with these long-term GI symptoms. There are a few common themes that came up. It seems like patients who had GI symptoms during their acute illness are much more likely to have chronic GI issues afterwards. Uh, patients who have uh, underlying depression, anxiety, or other mental health symptoms, either before the COVID or develop after COVID are also more likely to have these chronic GI issues. Uh, patients who have more severe disease, basically patients who need to be hospitalized for the acute uh, COVID infection, also are more likely to report chronic GI issues afterwards. Uh, patients who have loss of smell and taste as their initial symptoms, uh, also uh, another group uh, that seem to have more uh, chronic GI issues afterwards. Interestingly, the studies didn't really show any gender uh, 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 predilection uh, between male and female. It seems like uh, uh, they are fairly evenly distributed among both genders, unlike post-infectious IBS, which is often more commonly seen in women. So that might be one of the features that's a little bit different from the post-COVID GI issues. Um, but in terms of who is more likely to develop it, it seems like patients who have more severe disease, more GI symptoms, uh, more uh, psychological comorbidities, other ones are at higher risk. Wonderful. All right. So let's take that younger patient who's stressed, a little anxious, 
has lost sense of taste and smell, and has more significant GI symptoms at the onset. What can we do to prevent those chronic issues from developing six and 12 months later? Any research in that area? So unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of research that have specifically looked at what can prevent development of chronic GI symptoms. But because we know what the risk factors are, including having more severe illness in the beginning and requiring hospitalization, some of the thing potentially that can help is basically shortening the, the duration of disease and decreasing the severity of illness. So for example, vaccination uh, helps prevent the disease in the first place, but also help uh, decrease the severity. Using certain antivirals um, may help reduce the severity of illness, uh, decrease the duration of illness, which may also help. Continuing eating a healthy diet, exercising, or some of the other things that can help because we know that those would help reduce the amount of GI symptoms and IBS symptoms on their own. Um, there are some thoughts about what about other supplements or probiotics. Their role is still pretty unclear. They're, it's unclear for even non-COVID-related post-infectious IBS symptoms, uh, but it's even less clear for the COVID-related symptoms long-term. So there's really no evidence to show that they might be helpful. Wonderful. And so Walter, recognizing that we're, we're still learning just so much about this disorder, what do you think is the natural history of post-COVID chronic GI symptoms? Will these symptoms just fade away with time? No, I agree. I think we're still learning a lot about that. And there's really not much data on a natural history right now, partly because it hasn't even been that long since this illness has been discovered. Uh, but we all know that post-infectious IBS or post-infectious uh, disorder of gut-brain interaction often improve over time. Uh, so possibly uh, uh, we can assume similar natural history for most patients with COVID, uh, especially when their other COVID symptoms improve, like with improvement of the smell and taste, or if they start eating better, of their other COVID symptoms improve. I think the ones that, that might be triggered to predict if they actually have other systemic dysregulation uh, that is persistent after COVID. For example, patients who develop autonomic dysfunction or POTS after the COVID may be less likely to have uh, an, an improvement over time on its own and may need more management. But I think those are the, uh, this is a question that needs a lot more research to see. And we basically just need a longer observation, um, longer duration um, uh, with uh, our experience with this illness to understand their true natural history. And I think I share your optimism that hopefully for many of our patients with more mild disease, this will just slowly fade away with time. And so, of course, the loaded question is, how do we treat these patients? Is there some magical solution, some magic bullet that we can treat all these patients either with a diet or medication to improve or resolve their symptoms? Yeah, the, the biggest challenge is that there's really currently no high quality randomized study on treatment for post-COVID GI symptoms. So a lot of what we do is we're just extrapolating from how we manage uh, post-infectious IBS or other post-infectious uh, disorder of gut-brain interactions. For example, starting with um, lifestyle Im improvement, improving sleep, improving exercises, dietary uh, uh, interventions, you know, in adopting a high fiber diet or a low FODMAP diet or some other dietary changes that we do for IBS. Uh, maybe employing symptom-based pharmacotherapy, uh, uh, targeting either nausea or diarrhea or constipation. Neuromodulators will be useful, especially for a lot of 
pain-based uh, uh, type symptoms. Uh, but then the other non-pharmacological uh, intervention like psychological therapy, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, gut-directed hypnotherapy may be useful, especially for those who might have underlying anxiety and depression. Um, there's still a lot of question mark, as we mentioned, regarding things like probiotic. Um, there's some low quality data that suggests that maybe could be helpful, although it's really not conclusive right now. There's also some um, data in the post-infectious IBS population of using glutamine as a way for uh, treating altered intestinal barrier. Um, I think that also uh, certainly need more data, but uh, it's another uh, possibility in the future as well. Walter, I like three great teaching points. You have, you've made so many, but three great ones for our listeners. Don't forget to ask about sleep because we know that sleep changes lower sensory thresholds, makes you feel worse and, you know, target that predominant symptom. What's your most bothersome symptom? Uh, and then don't be afraid to use what we used to call complementary therapies such as CBT or hypnotherapy, but they're actually mainstream, not even complementary. So Walter, this has really just been a wonderful conversation. I've learned so much from you. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Uh, any last thoughts for our listeners? I think I think my last parting thought is that gastroenterologists and actually any healthcare provider should be aware that um, COVID or SARS-CoV-2 infection can result in development of chronic uh, GI symptoms or worsening of existing GI symptoms. And they could be part of this um, post-acute infection uh, syndrome related to COVID. Uh, and why is that important is that if we can recognize that, we need to make sure that when patients come up with these symptoms to ask about potential COVID infection or exposure, especially around the time of development of their symptoms. And with that, we can potentially limit unnecessary diagnostic workup, especially if patients have no other alarming symptoms, if we can uh, really associate that with a COVID infection. And the other thing is that mainly we want to follow current known paradigms for treating routine post-infectious IBS or DGBI, uh, given the lack of um, uh, higher quality data at this point. And the fi my final point is that lifestyle modification is important, just like how we treat uh, post-infectious IBS and other DGBIs, you know, uh, because we know that there are a lot of changes in diet and exercise and other lifestyle changes since the pandemic started. Um, and and um, intervention and improving that uh, oftentimes is just as important as other interventions uh, that, that we can do. Walter, wonderful. So to our listeners, thank you for joining in today. Uh, to this segment of Gut Check, another podcast from the GI Learning Network. I'm Brian Lacey, Professor of Medicine at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, and absolutely delighted to have Dr. Walter Chan, Associate Professor of Medicine at the Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, join us here today to talk about post-COVID issues. Thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to having you join us for another Gut Check podcast in the near future. Thank you for having me.